I'm Steph from Heinemann, and this week on the podcast, our colleague Brett sat down with Jessica Martin and Jamaica Ross to talk about the importance of classroom design. In Jessica's new book, Strategic Classroom Design, Jessica reveals just how important a classroom environment is. She writes, The attention you give to the layout of your classroom provides everyone with a greater sense of belonging and more opportunities to become an engaged, focused, and collaborative community of learners. The conversation began with why it's so important to focus on design. One of the things that kids need to feel successful and to feel confident is to belong. And when we spend time considering how we set up our spaces and we put our attention towards what we know in terms of how people learn best. And if we create spaces that have places to move or if we create different kinds of spaces for whole group opportunities, small group opportunities, and places where kids can peel off and work one-on-one, then we start to imagine a place where everyone can feel like they belong. And then when we also think about what we know about color and we know about light, it helps to think about that when we're designing a space because we don't want to overstimulate kids and there's enough distraction happening already with 34 kids in a classroom. So if we can create a space that feels calm and comforting and cohesive, then it allows kids to relax and be themselves and feel like they have something to contribute and and ways to work positively and cooperatively. How does social-emotional needs of our students sort of fit into the classroom environment? I think that kids come to school with feelings about school already, Mm -hmm. and depending on their experiences, or depending on even on that morning, um, we come with a lot of emotion, and our kids come with a lot of emotion. And I think that if we can sort of mitigate the stressors of school, whether it be you know, assignments that feel unrelated or challenging or friendships that can be challenging or um, a seat that doesn't feel comfortable. If we can kind of give you, if we can figure out how to give kids more choice and how they work and move and collaborate, I think it allows for them to relax again, you know, get back to the decreases anxiety, allows for them to express themselves in ways that sometimes they don't even realize, um, like sometimes they surprise themselves on what they can do. So putting them into, um, or creating spaces where kids can share out who they are and how they feel and time to talk and work those out. That's a lot of the work I know Jamaica has been doing in her classroom. And then having that time and space to talk and think and process feelings allows kids to identify notice how they feel, identify those feelings and others too, and then gives them ways to interact with one another so that when we get to the academic learning, they've had opportunities to see one another mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. talk with one another and negotiate things with one another and to ideally learn to like one another, at least mm-hmm. um, find ways to connect. And then then the learning is easy. And that's why I think the emotional intelligence piece and the socio-emotional learning piece is exactly pieces we're trying to tap into when we think about classroom design so that all the other stuff is, you know, cake after that. 
Jamaica, mm-hmm. you're featured in the book. Yes. Tell us a little bit about your classroom. I would say I was kind of thinking about what Jessica was saying as far as the coming into the space and starting like in my classroom, we start the day and play. And as they enter the room, not only is it a space that they come in and they can kind of like breathe into and they're mm-hmm. comfortable there because it's it's soft and it's appealing to the eye. But it's also like Jessica was saying, it's a space that they have. They know they come in and they have relationships that are built there and that they're working on relationships. And I feel like in my classroom, a lot of the work that we do is around it, it peels back a lot of the hard work that then they're they're allowed to open up to do academically, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So because they're able to play and they're able to communicate and they're able to work together playing Uno, then when it comes time to collaborate during math or it comes time to talk about a book, a lot of the layers are already peeled back. Mm-hmm. So it's a safe space for them to be in. It's a place where asking questions is encouraged. It's a space where there's a, um, we're, we're always negotiating, where right? we meet in circle and we're always trying to figure out, you know, how we can take responsibility for ourselves. So I would say my, my room is a student-centered space where they know that it's theirs. They own the space. Mm-hmm. And, and that's such an important, that collaboration between the teacher and the student to, for the student to know that space. Yeah. Something that Jessica writes about in the book is the traffic jams mm-hmm. and the transitions from, say, either going to recess or coming back from recess. How does that work in your classroom? How do you manage sort of the traffic jams and the transitions with students? I think the most, the place that there was the most traffic jamming was in the cubbies Mm -hmm. as we were trying to get set up and using cubbies. And for a while it was kind of like, how do you think we should do it? You know, is it too crowded? Are you having a hard time getting your things? So if I notice something that's happening or um, that might be slowing us down or that might be causing friction, then we talk about it together. So what do you think is the best solution for that? And they will say like, maybe half of us go at one time or the top row goes and then the bottom row goes and then we just alternate back and forth if I can remember who went first the last time which not (laughs) usually um but they're very patient with that just uh, then eventually they figure out how then to we don't do that anymore because now they've learned how to wait their turn and now they learned how to say oh that person above me is already there I'll come back in a second I'll go get something else on my way or whatever it might be but the space is so open that there are so many options of different ways to go that there we don't tend to have a lot of traffic jamming. It can be kind of overwhelming for some to sort of set off to do a redesign within a classroom. What is your advice for how to sort of get started and sort of manage that anxiety around the redesign? So teachers say this to me all the time, you know, what's mm-hmm. the best way to get started? And I always think about asking them to think about what's the, you know, what do you want to, you know, what do you want to work on or what seems to be something that you think you would like to talk with your kids about in terms of a challenge or I like to say an opportunity and start there. And that's when they'll say things like clutter or I want to try flexible seating, but I'm worried that disagreements or fights might erupt over, you know, a balance ball or something like that or a stool. And that keeps teachers from taking those steps sometimes like what am I I I don't have any space to store things or I can't open my blinds or so then it's more about just where do you where would you like to start what seems like a Mm -hmm. an opportunity to to dig into and practice and play with for a couple weeks and see what happens Mm -hmm. and that's where um, they usually land on something and then I encourage them to encourage the teacher to bring it to the the classroom to get feedback and to kind of co-author 
either the plan or, you know, how can we get started? How can we work together to figure out the traffic jam? Or how can we figure out who gets to use the bounce ball or the mm -hmm. stool? And so it doesn't feel like the teacher's making all the decisions because mm -hmm. then it feels very much like then the teacher has to do all of the consequences and all of the problem solving and you kind of get into this, it's not worth it to make any changes. Mm -hmm. So I just encourage teachers to identify something they want to work on with their students and the width is really important and then start to brainstorm with them, brainstorm with the parent community, brainstorm with colleagues. One of the things you write about uh, pretty early on in the book is that if you were starting your first day as the teacher, walking into the school, you would expect someone to give you a tour of the building. You would expect someone to sort of show you where different things are. Mm -hmm. And you say that that's just as important on the first day of school or when you do a redesign with your students, you say to teach into the physical environment. Why is that so important? I think grounding yourself in the space, becoming familiar with how it feels to walk and to be in it is important. I mean, I did that even presenting here at NCTE. I got here a little early, went to the room, looked at the space, um, walked around a little bit, um, just to orientate myself to the surroundings, the feel of it, the bigness or the littleness of it. Yeah, I definitely think that like the room tour and I for me, I feel like you you need to talk about the room and the space mm -hmm. and what everything is, because I think when I do that with my class, they realize like this is all ours. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really powerful for kids. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I've even had kids say like, well, where's your workspace? So where's your <laughs> desk? And I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> it's back over there. But, you know, when you leave, I work on this table that you work on during the day, you mm -hmm. know. But um, I, I feel like what it creates for the kids is they realize like everything is out right where they need it. And all this, you know, you could sit here, you could sit there. And it really makes them feel like I could definitely say that my students know it's their classroom. It's definitely not my classroom in that sense. It's our classroom. And that's why I think it's important to mm -hmm. tour the room. When the first day of school, I had some kids that were the same as last year and some kids that were new. And the very first day was, what do you notice about the classroom? What do you wonder about the classroom? So just take a minute and look around the room. And mm -hmm. what is it that you're noticing? Does it, how does it feel for you? You know, so having that conversation with them is really important to now every day they walk in, they know it's theirs. They know where everything is. They know they're allowed to be anywhere in the space. Well, you mentioned something too there, Jamaica, that I think is really important is the teacher space. Mm -hmm. And Jessica, you write, it's important to not forget or not neglect the teacher space. So mm -hmm. Jamaica, maybe you can explain a little bit about your space in your classroom. Yeah, the space that, that we created in this classroom, the space in my last year's classroom that's more in the book, it was kind of the space that we all shared together. So there were areas that were books for the, that I would use in small groups and materials that I might use more that were kind of centered around a, a space in the room. But that's the, the circle table was still theirs. It was actually really funny because sometimes I didn't keep on top of my own neatness. And then they would come in in the morning and they would realize that Miss Ross didn't clean up her space and they would just <laughs> pile everything up in a pile and push it to the middle of the table and take their space around the table. It didn't phase them at all because, again, it was their space. Mm -hmm. This year is a little bit different. The room is a little bit different. So the my personal space is kind of behind a closet door where I get to put my own belongings. And I think it's important Jessica's taught me to during the day when the kids are there, I'm teaching the kids. I'm mm -hmm. with the kids. I'm not sitting at a table trying to do work. So if I do need to do work, I pull out my little piles, keep, keeps me more organized and keeps me more, you know, on top of my own stuff. And I sit at a table and I do my work at lunchtime or after school, I pull it out 
And then I also have to be responsible to put it away. My room is beautiful. It's always clean. It's always tidy. It's everything's put away and I don't do it. So I also have to stay on top of that for myself, <laughs> right? So it's a lot of um, self-reflection in that way. That's yeah. not my strength. So <laughs> having to do that because I expect of them. So we expect of each other. So good modeling, really. It is. Yeah. They have good, they model for me really <laughs> they're, they're well. They're modeling yes. for you. I love that they're modeling <laughs> they model for, for you. Me. Yeah. That's but, great. Um, there's not a ton of space, but there is space for, we've created like curtain spaces. So mm-hmm. the stuff that's not used all the time doesn't need to be out all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's put away. And when I need it, I know where it is. It's kept me very organized. Jessica, you mentioned earlier, it's important to sort of not get too stressed about the budget. How would you, what would your advice be for someone who's sort of looking at this and they're reading your book and thinking about how to best approach this with, with a small budget or maybe no budget or what's your thinking there? I loved what happened when we worked on Jamaica's classroom makeover, which was we first went in and made friends with the custodial staff because they know where everything is mm. and they know where things are that you don't even think about. So when we first got there, you know, making friends with the folks that know where everything is, is key so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel or spend money on things that schools have hidden away somewhere. And that first kind of ask or that first um, airing out of like, here's what we're trying to do. All of a sudden there were like two round tables that showed up mm-hmm. in our classroom or in our classroom, <laughs> <laughs> in her classroom. And once the word got out that what Jamaica was trying to do with her space, teachers would come by and say, I've got a shelf. Would you like this shelf? Mm-hmm. And we're like, hmm, let's go take a look. Mm-hmm. And so we would, it was just, it was lovely how folks shared things. So the, The first thing is not to go buy anything. The first thing is to be really uh, resourceful about seeing what's already available. Jamaica went to the district warehouse to see what teachers had turned in and so that you could mark or was it tag things Mm -hmm. that uh, maybe you might want and they would deliver it to your classroom. And then I'm notorious for um, the secondhand shops and that's where I was able to find things like baskets and pillowcases and things that you could repurpose and so just being really thrifty and keep your eye open even for folks that live in a neighborhood where um, there's apartment buildings and so sometimes at the end of the month people will leave their stool out (laughs) or things like that so my kids know that I'm going to stop if I see a stool I'm stopping (laughs) and throwing it in the back seat or in the back of the trunk (laughs) Um, because those are ways to make it doable aesthetically pleasing affordable. If you're after trying to think, rethink your color scheme and if you're after thinking about lighting, some of these, the secondhand shops and your your colleagues are really, and parents too, mm-hmm. um, love to help out and they love to um, share some of the things. And you won't, you can be picky. That's the thing too. You can turn things away, but it helps um, with folks who want to do some of those kinds of things in a way that feels affordable because we know teachers don't make a ton of money. So having, having that expectation of like, I'm going to f- refurnish everything mm-hmm. with tables and shelves and baskets and materials is not reasonable. And it's not equitable either. Mm-hmm. So how do we get smart about design in ways that feel practical and helpful? I would yeah. say start with what you have. I mean, yeah. I think back to way back in the day before I even realized what I was doing, maybe that I was Mm. like, I want to have all tables in my room. So across (laughs) Mm -hmm. a few years, I worked on getting 
all like five tables in my room and I just put all the desks around the outside of the room. So I had a very furnished room, but mm. as this, that, that school closed, I brought all the tables with me oh. and then I took a leave of absence. So I came, when I came back, it was like, you start with what you have. I had 35 desks again. So I just turned the desks the opposite way and pushed them together and created longer table mm-hmm. groups and where children could sit at different places. So it wasn't like, this is my desk. So you just start where you are with what you have. And over many summers of mm-hmm. going to Savers and going to the thrift shops and going on Facebook pages and the buying sites and, you know, yeah, all those kinds of places, right? And you can do grants and such. I didn't so much do that, but you can find a lot and it just, you accumulate over time. Mm-hmm. And teachers are really good at accumulating a lot of stuff over time. So if we pick the things we accumulate, then it could work. It works out pretty quickly. Jessica, one of the things that I love in the book is you have throughout the book these teaching into moments and then if then scenarios. I wonder if you could maybe just sort of take a minute and just sort of explain to us what you're doing with those in the book and just sort of how to approach the book. I usually get a lot of questions about how to make this happen or how to get started after sharing ideas or even in um, some of my usual work around literacy or math, I might make some connections to making, th- making tools accessible and creating us, you know, creating spaces where kids can make choices about what they need. So in that teachers will say, well, how could I do, how could, you know, what are some ways I can do that that are affordable? What are some ways, how do I talk to my administration mm-hmm. about, supplies or creating a space for tools or I don't have any tools like how could I make that happen so the if then section of the book is really meant for it's more like a frequently asked question type of a format and I think a place that also um, allows for sharing of ideas that I've you know heard around the heard heard around the way like that have been worked that are tried and true and work for teachers Mm. and so I tried to incorporate a section that some of my most recent conversations and thoughts with teachers and, uh, you know, just basically great idea sharing. And it was, it was kind of felt like something that was at the end of the chapter. So folks, sometimes I know, sometimes it's easier, easier to connect with an if-then scenario mm-hmm. than it is, um, you know, some of the other content because it feels quick and it, it answers my question. It feels very, um, like, this is my issue. This is my mm-hmm. topic, very present. So... That's what that was kind of the idea behind it. The book has tons of photos, mm. a lot of graphic elements. There's, it's just it, the book itself is beautifully designed. Mm. In addition to being a great design book, um, talk folks through a little bit about how the book is laid out and sort of your thinking that went into sort of how the book is designed. Yeah, I'm so grateful that the way it turned out. I mean, they're just the photos are gorgeous. The um, just really so respectful of the, t- the all the hard work that the teachers and students put into those spaces. And I think that we tried to imagine creating a book where we started with, you know, just thinking about space on its own and the importance of creating different kinds of space in the classroom. And so chapter one is about sort of the essential spaces Mm -hmm. for when you want to meet with your students as a whole, as a community, and then some smaller breakout spaces because it's so important, especially in today's teaching, that there are opportunities for kids to collaborate and break out and and smaller, more intimate spaces for them to be intimate with one another in terms of 
thinking and talking and sharing. And so the idea was to be really intentional with smaller types of spaces where kids could be together. And then what I've noticed too lately is kids saying, I just want to work on my own too. <laughs> and so that was really important to imagine where are the nooks and crannies in your room that mm-hmm. kids could gather their thoughts or ground themselves and then join the group? Or if I needed a minute to step out of the group, where are there spaces in the classroom that I can feel safe and kind of be able to do that and regulate myself even Mm -hmm. and then join the group again? So chapter one is all about sort of that space consideration. And then chapter two, we bring to light some of the work teachers have done around additional areas in the room. So if you're doing inquiry work, if you are thinking about math or if you wanted to sort of create space for display and tools and supplies like how are you organizing your space so that kids can access the things they need quickly they don't have to walk across the room to get a pencil there's lots of spaces for kids to access supplies it talks a little bit about how you're displaying work so that it feels you know doesn't feel chaotic so chapter two is kind of like what are the other spaces to consider mm-hmm. um, then chapter three which was the hardest chapter to write it's about moving in the space and creating agreements around how we're going to work together as a community because there isn't one right way. And so it really begins with how you are, you know, this, this culture that you're trying to create and making sure kids' voices are heard. And how do you set the parameters and how do you set the scene for kids to make mistakes and try things out and take mm-hmm. risks, which to make is so great at, negotiate. Um, when you need things. And so that's what chapter three is about. I thought it was important because that's what teachers ask, like, how do you handle disagreements and sharing? And um, that part, that's dearest to me, but it's also for some reason, it just felt more challenging to write about and, but, in, but important. And then chapter four is about the design element work. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we get into color and light and naturalness, flexibility, That was fun to write about because there's so much research on what matters most to how we learn and what matters most in terms of performance. Mm -hmm. And so we know things like having well-lit areas helps kids focus more and also perform better on their tests and their assessments and things. So we get into kind of the nitty-gritty of um, some of the research-based design elements. And then we end with Chapter 5, which is a closer look at one teacher's journey. And we really wanted to make it feel doable and practical and interesting. And so we did a lot of before, like before the school even started, we were in there thinking and talking and dreaming and designing two weeks in. So we had like a blank slate. And then we took pictures at different stages so you could Mm -hmm. see how the space evolved once the kids arrived because the space really did change. She had her own ideas about movement and accessibility and making sure everyone felt like they belonged. And then she kind of worked on that and we laid that out. But then when the kids came, we saw that they had some different needs and things needed to be moved and shifted. And and so we wanted to make sure that we documented all of that because it was happening in real time. I mean, we need more space for this or less clutter here or the kids piled your stuff up and um, took over this area. And one of the biggest things was we had these pillows and kids wanted to hug them <laughs> versus sit on them. So it was just, it was a, it was lovely and challenging and um 
you know, I thought the chapter came together really nicely because it was a real true journey of someone's adventure into, you know, flexible seating and um, design. Jamaica, we'll end with you. How do you best maintain it throughout the school year? How do you keep it going? Well, for to reflect on last year, I think um, the keeping it going was being flexible with it. You know, and at one point in the year, we did say, like, do you guys mind if I move these this way? You know, we had a conversation. Can I move these these uh, cabinets in a different place? What do you think? Can we try it out for the day? And so I think having that constant conversation with kids is a way to keep it going, to keep it fresh. I think that one of the most beautiful things about the room is that it keeps itself going because no day is the same because they get to make a different choice every day and they get to move around and they're working in different teams and partnerships and whole group and small group. And I'm definitely one who's not really great at sticking to a specific schedule. And um, we like to co-construct a schedule and, you know, every eight weeks or so talk about what's going well and not what's not going well. And when are you learning the most and when do you feel like it's, you're not learning the most. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of, from my part, that's a type of teacher that I am is very reflective and always thinking about what's going well, what's not going well, and how can we make it even better and even better and even better learning wise and space wise. And so I think that, I guess that's the answer is just constantly reflecting and being flexible to be able to change things mm-hmm. and then letting them have a voice and a say in it. Because it's so flexible every day, I feel like that maintains it, right? They don't have to come in and sit in the same exact spot mm-hmm. every single day. And if we want to have a change, it's like this big, huge desk. Remember, I remember desk changes. It was like a 45-minute period of time when everybody's pulling their desks around, <laughs> moving them all around the room, and it was this big ordeal. And now it's like every day they get a desk change. They get an opportunity for a different vantage point in the space, and that keeps it going. Our thanks to Jessica and Jamaica for their time today. You can follow Jessica on Twitter at Growing Jessica. Learn more about strategic classroom design and download a sample chapter at blog.heineman.com. As always, thanks for listening.